Good morning again. Let's see if everything works. There we go. How do you like that? I'm telling you to get a life. Has anyone ever said that to you before? But it's actually get a real life. That's what we're talking about today in our verses that Olivia just read for us from 1 Timothy. Now today we are wrapping up our series from the book of 1 Timothy, and next week we'll start into 2 Timothy. But we have some final instructions from Paul today. And just a quick reminder that Paul is giving uh, instructions and guidance to Timothy, who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Timothy was dealing with a lot of difficult situations that were going on in the church at that time. He, he really had his hands full. And his leadership was critical, which is why Paul is continuing to mentor him and give him guidance. Because if the church was going to stay on track and stay focused on the mission and get the true gospel message out, they were going to have to deal with a lot of these issues that were sidetracking them, getting them off the point. So our scripture today here, Paul is instructing Timothy specifically on how to deal with the people in his church who were wealthy and also false teachers in the church. Now the crux of Paul's message is all about what leads to life. How do you get a life? But more pointed, how do you experience true or real life? And how do we measure our riches or our wealth? What methods do we use? What is truly life-giving and what is just a false or fake form of life? Well, the dictionary tells us a few things about what's true and what's false. Truth is accordance of fact or reality, accurate, exact, and false, obviously, is the opposite. It's not according to truth or fact, it's incorrect. What I find interesting is the last phrase here, deliberately made or meant to deceive. So that tells us that a false life is a deceitful life. So I thought about what are some things that are true and false that we experience every day or even that we have? And how do you even tell the difference? So I have a little list here. Pearls. There are fake pearls and there are real pearls. Do you all know how to tell the difference? Exactly. So, my fake pearl here, you're going to know because it's stretchy anyway, right? They're not going to put real ones on there. It's all smooth. But my real pearls are gritty. They're scratchy. So, ladies, if you ever wonder if you're getting fake or real ones, sorry guys, you're going to have to buy our real ones because now she knows the difference. So we've got, but you can't tell sometimes by how you're looking at them. What about friends? We have fake friends and we have real friends. Your real friend tells you when you have a big piece of spinach on your tooth, your fake friend leaves it there so that people can laugh at you. Your fake friends also usually don't stick around for hard times, and we've probably all experienced finding out that who we thought was real or true really wasn't. Hair. You can have fake hair. Al, you're laughing. You can have <laughs> fake hair. I think his hair is real. Uh, or, like, I have real hair, but I gotta say, the color is probably not real, okay? 
Just so you know. No. Yeah, I know. It's hard. Art. There's a lot of forged art, right? That's a big business in this world. And people trying to track down and how to find out if something is real or false. A tan, right? The sun's outside, but there are tanning booths everywhere. Or they got that spray tan going on. No judgment. Just saying. There's, there's fake and there's real. And of course, money. There's a lot of counterfeit money, and there are people who are trained to identify real and fake money. This is my favorite. I love butter, and there's fake butter, margarine, and there is butter. And a funny story about my mom and dad, when they were first married, my dad was in the army and stationed in Georgia. And of course, they had very little money, so my mother told me a few years ago, she's, I don't know if my father still even knows this, she would spend her money on buying herself the real butter and bought my dad the margarine because she figured it wasn't worth the cost. So, anyway. <laughs> so there you go. Well, our scripture today starts off with Paul saying to Timothy, he uses the word teach in 17 and tell in 18. And actually, other versions use the word command. So it's a pretty strong statement here. Uh, Paul's emphasizing to Timothy that as the leader of this church, he needs to have some of those uncomfortable conversations with his church members. He can't ignore when members go astray. That's what he's uh, telling Timothy here. Frequently, Paul uses the term healthy teaching in his letters, and this doesn't just mean beliefs in correct doctrine or knowledge that they've been taught, but healthy teaching is teaching that actually changes behavior. It takes what you know and it changes how you do things. So let's look here first at verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all, us all we need for our enjoyment. Now, I think we all know this intellectually. Don't trust in money. Don't trust in things. Trust in God. But does our knowledge actually translate into our behavior? Some of you may think, well, this doesn't talk about me. I'm not rich, and I wouldn't consider myself rich either. However, if we have three meals a day and a roof over our head and a car or even two, we are very rich with worldly standards. But what we think is poverty falls way short of what poverty really is. So how many of you remember that wonderful year 2008? I think we all got a taste of reality in what trusting our money was and was not. It wasn't a good idea. It proved very unreliable. It's there on paper one minute, and the next, it's gone. Paul's saying, teach your members that placing their trust in what they have is actually a false sense of security. Not only is God the only one that is uh, we can count on that we can trust in but also he's the one that gives you everything you need for your enjoyment well that's interesting 
I, love, I read that statement and thought, really? The world says money provides my enjoyment. Money provides what I need to buy all the things that I see advertised on TV or in magazines every day. So how is it that God is the one who gives me what I need for my enjoyment? Well, it's true that everything comes from God. We have nothing without God. That's true. But I think Paul is even meaning this in a different way. He's reading it or saying it differently. He's not referring to the worldly enjoyments or material things that we think bring us enjoyment or pleasure. I love this verse. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. True or real pleasure comes from being in the presence of God. All material possessions or fun experiences I have provide false enjoyment in and of themselves. They're temporary. Real pleasure is in knowing the one who has given me life and has given me all that I have. I'm not trusting in those things to give me pleasure. As a matter of fact, I can enjoy my life more when I'm not looking to them to give me pleasure or enjoyment. I'm looking to God. All my stuff isn't going to do it. So how many times do we think, if I just had this, if I just went here, I would be happy. I actually had a friend who I worked with when I worked at the headquarters of Skipper's Restaurants. Do you remember that restaurant chain? Which was ironic that I worked there because I don't eat seafood. But Amy would always say, if I just had more Tupperware, my life would be so good. She was just like, if everything was lined up with lids to match, life would be good. Just last week, I was and still a little bit, and lamenting we could just get all of our planters and pots planted. I would be happy. I keep looking at all of my neighbors and they've got everything done, everything beautiful. Now they're all retired, so they have a little more time than us. But I really have this angst in me of every day coming home, driving up going, ugh, I want that all done. So we've been working on it. We've been working on it, um, and it's almost there. Also, I'm getting in this kind of decluttering mood here. If I could just get rid of all our extra stuff, ah, I would be so happy. I would be so content because I don't know about you, but these days I really want more time and less stuff. Can you relate to that? Well, it's God alone who can provide real pleasure in this life. If we're trusting in our job, if we're trusting in our health, if we're trusting in our family, our money, or anything other than God alone, we are going to be counting on false and hollow things, and that will not end well. We will not be content. Now, verse 18 goes on to tell us, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready 
to share with others. Paul's not saying here that being rich is a problem. The problem with being rich is that it can distract us from focusing on a godly life, a life that's filled with meaning and purpose. Our possessions have the potential to own us instead of the other way around. We work to save what we have to accumulate more, and then we have more opportunities with more money, right? Again, this is not bad. It's what you do with it and how you measure your wealth. You see, Paul's saying our money is a tool to do good. It's to be readily available when others need it. A few weeks ago, we had our Nicholas Fund for Education fundraiser right here in this room. And many of you shared your riches so that students in Guatemala could get an education. That's not a problem. A team just came back from Mexico delivering wheelchairs to people living on the ground. And many of you contributed to that cause. That's not a problem. Your tithes and your offerings to our church supports local and global missions and ministry to youth and children and many other people. No, money is not the problem. It doesn't cause problems. It actually can solve problems. It's when we think that our wealth is our wealth that we get into unhealthy doctrine. <laughs> doctrine that connects our head to our hearts. That's the kind of doctrine we want to be following. That's healthy doctrine. So working to get wealthy hanging on to what you've got, accumulating more, as opposed to using your wealth to do good works, is the caution here. Paul says we are to be rich in good works. That's how we measure our riches, not in money or possessions. And don't forget to do good to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Now, I want to clarify something here. Good works to gain favor or to get to heaven or get to a different level of heaven, that's false doctrine. Works in and in of themselves is false security. We are saved by faith alone, but faith without works is dead faith. So now we're going to get to the reason that Paul is stating all of this. Whenever you see a therefore in a, in a sentence, you know that there's something coming. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that, or therefore, they may experience true life. Why was Paul saying all these things? So that people wouldn't have fun and wouldn't be able to have money and would feel bad? No. It's so that we can experience true or real life. Again, I want to correct any ideas that you have that all these things, if you do all these things, you will all of a sudden have a happy, easy, perfect life. Now, some teach that if you do all the right things, you will have plenty of money, you will be healthy, 
And you know what? That is not true. Paul's not saying that a rich and true life is a happy and perfect life. True life is not free from difficulties, but it does have meaning beyond yourself. True life or real life has lasting value. It's not measured in what we do or what we have or who we know. It's measured in what we've done for others. I have a little video clip here that many of you will be familiar with that explains this or gives a good example of it. George Bailey, right? And I, I broke one of my rules. You know how I'm about rules about doing anything Christmas, not in December, but I did it for this. <laughs> George Bailey was not rich in money or possessions. As a matter of fact, he was in a lot of debt. It was all the ways that he helped others. You know the movie. He gets taken back and seen all the things he did, not even knowing how he was helping others, to the sacrifice of himself that gave him a wonderful life and I will say a rich and true life. So what's life giving to you? When you give life to someone, whether it's food, whether it's a wheelchair, whether it's sharing your time with somebody, you are the one who gets life back. It's a two-way street. It's life-giving for both parties. I had something happen to me last week that was um, interesting to me and kind of took me aback. Uh, a neighbor of ours, several doors down, uh, we in our neighborhood have been providing meals. I set up a meal schedule, thanks to Carla Kepler, who showed me how to do that with Take Them a Meal. And uh, this man has been suffering from cancer, taking care of his wife with Alzheimer's, and things went south fast in the last month. And all of a sudden, he couldn't care for her anymore, and people were needing to care for him. So anyway, I set up this uh, schedule, and uh, he passed away several weeks ago. And several days later, it was my day to take the meal over. And I was, I forgot that I was supposed to do it, and I was putting together this casserole that takes a long time, and all day I'm thinking, oh my goodness, why did I sign up for this day? This isn't, this isn't convenient for me, and this, I picked something that was even hard to make, and you know, so I was, I was not having a great attitude, let's say. Well, I got it done, and uh, Barry took it over, and then a few days later, uh, his sister-in-law, who actually lives kitty-corner to us, my front door was open, and she walked up the steps, and she poked her head in, and she said, Julie, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure, how's, how's it going? You know, I know things have been really hard. And um, So she said, I want to tell, I want to thank you so much for that dinner that day. It had been a really bad day, 
and your dinner made it a good day. We could sit around the table and enjoy this meal. And I just, I thought, oh Lord, that was such a small thing. And yet it meant so much to her. And it just helped me realize that the little things that we do have meaning. And going beyond ourselves, that's a satisfying and rich life. You know, as I've gotten older, my desire to spend my time and resources engaged in meaningful, life-giving ways has really increased. I've been thinking about that more. I don't want to waste my time on a false life, one that offers temporary, self-gratifying experiences only to leave me wanting more and not making any kind of lasting impression on anybody else. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. You know, Jesus came to give us a rich and satisfying life. Not one filled with things and stuff and experiences, but something deeper and more meaningful. I don't know how many of you read Good Housekeeping. I, get my, I got my Good Housekeeping and this was so interesting. There was a little article in here about things you should do for your health, things that are good for you. And this is whether you deliver meals to people who are homebound or use your fundraising skills to bring money in for your kid's school, a spirit of unselfish giving can bring you major health benefits, both mentally and physically. According to one study, regular volunteering can lower your risk of high blood pressure. So all of you on high blood pressure medicine can throw that out. <laughs> Just start serving, right? Other research has shown that being of service helps reduce stress and that volunteers have lower rates of depression and may even live longer. And the last part of this says, in the survey they did, 94% of you say it's important to pitch in locally, but half of you don't because it's too hard to find the time. This is not a Christian magazine. So it's interesting that they, the research, I don't know why you have to pay somebody to figure this out, um, actually bears out God's truth. Now God's not mentioned there, but all truth is God's truth, right? We know that it's because God created us for this purpose that this gives us a rich and satisfying life. We are the ones who benefit. I want to share a little story with you about my desire for real life experience. Um, about 13 or 14 years ago, I was doing a Bible study in the book of John, and I came to the verse that we read about having that rich and satisfying, abundant life. Now, nothing was wrong in my life. As a matter of fact, at this point, I was really content with my life. I felt, though, like something was just kind of missing. Now, I'm not an adventurous person, but I was feeling the need to do something a little risky, something more challenging than changing my hair color, for instance. So I specifically asked God to show me how I could have that abundant life. And for me, 
And I think for many people, it means getting out of your comfort zone, right? Well, there was a mission trip with our church with the youth going to Mexico. And I decided, okay, Lord, is this something that you want me to do to get me out of my comfort zone? Which would completely be out of my comfort zone because I don't even camp. But I was really excited for the opportunity and I was excited to pray about it and see what God wanted me to do. Well, it, he did tell me he wanted me to go. And I have to tell you that when the time came to go, I was a little fearful but I was more excited and trusting in God because it, it felt like this is kind of what I've been missing, getting out there, doing something that I wouldn't normally want to do. And serving with our youth, watching them as they cared for little children on the streets, teaching them what a toothbrush was and shampooing their hair that we know had lice in it and touching them and playing soccer with them and building a house, a little shack for this family. That was the most satisfying, rich experiences that I've ever had. And I know that many of you have had that too. And you kind of get addicted to mission trips or things that push you out of your comfort zone sometimes once you've had that experience. I came back with a new perspective on life. I was changed much more than the people that we were with. Now, like I said, many of you have had that experience too, and you know what a rich and full life can be when you step out of your comfort zone and you trust in God and you look for opportunities to serve. Now, our last few verses here, we have Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. Now, false doctrine or teaching can and does infiltrate our church. It does it today, just as it did then. It can distract us from our mission. It will definitely distract us from living a full and rich life. Some false teachings that we may have today, these aren't all of them, but some quick things that came to my mind that I hear professing Christians say that God created Jesus, that Jesus is just a, a little, just a little bit lower than God. That's false doctrine. If something bad happens to you, you must be sinning. What's wrong with you? What have you done? Now, it is true that when we do sin, when we do wrong things, we do have consequences. But God is not up there punishing us for something. A lot of times things happen to us and we are not at all in sin. And so I think that can be a false doctrine. I actually had a woman, I had a, ran a small group years ago and a woman who had lost a child um, in the group the year before and one of the other group members actually said something to the effect of, well, what, what do you think you did? for God to cause this to happen. How destructive. Here's another one. Works will save you. God has the scoreboard up in heaven, and every time you do something good, there's another mark for you. And every time you do something bad, he erases one, or possibly two if it was a really bad thing, right? 
works do not save us. It is by faith alone. How about this one? Being a Christian will make you happy, right? Everything's going to be perfect. And then you get there and it's not. And then what? Then you think, well, am I really a Christian? What's going on here? That is never, ever said. This one I'll leave you with. Jesus is a Democrat. Jesus is a Republican. Jesus is an independent. Jesus is God. Let's leave it at that, okay? Well, like I said, these are just a few of the false doctrines that still circulate today. We need to avoid this foolish stuff, just like Paul said to Timothy. It has the power to draw us away from our mission. Keep the main thing the main thing. Get a life. So let's talk about some application points here. Are you living a real life? What do you think? Or are you just getting by? Is your life meaningful? Do you feel like you're leading that abundant life that Christ is talking about? Maybe you need to push the reset button. Or maybe you need to be open like I was for God to push you out of your comfort zone to experience having to trust in him completely. And what are you really trusting in? I know the answer is always Jesus, right? But if you were honest, if you look back on this last week and you thought people looking at you, would they say, that's a person who's trusting in Christ or that's a person who's trusting in something else? And how are you measuring your wealth? Are you measuring it in what you have or the impact you have? the works that you have done for God? And are you using your money for good works? Or are you hanging on to it because you need that sense of security, which is false security? Guard what you have been given by focusing on what really matters. Do not get sidetracked by false teaching or trusting in things that don't matter. So how do we experience real life? Trusting in God, sharing what we have, being generous, and working out our faith with action. That's real life. Let's pray.